You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me we have Vadim Katsulkin. He is a father of three, husband, developer, author and speaker with over 20 years of professional experience. Vadim likes to continuously extend his soft skills in the trenches by working with people on a daily basis. He is also the co-organizer of the Java user group Bone and serverless Bone meetups. Besides work and family, he has a passion for soccer, biathlon, and arts. Hello, Vadim, and welcome to the show. Yeah, hello, Andre. Hello, Bogdan. Uh, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, you have told me everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much once again. Yeah. Probably you have told everything about me. I can only add little things. I'm Ukrainian native, but I've been living since 20 years in Germany and um, working in Bonn, mainly in Bonn. As you told, uh, I'm the co-organizer of Java user group Bonn and serverless meetup Bonn, but we currently paused due to Corona. And yes. Yes, and yeah, I'm heavily involved in, in, in Java community in the last three three years in serverless LWS community. So mainly I'm speaking about both these topics. And yes, I'm working for the company IPLabs in Bonn, which uh, writes software for uh, designing and purchasing of uh, photo products like photo books, calendars, prints, posters, gifts. And we are 100% subsidiary of the Fujifilm. Um, uh, nice. Uh-huh. Big company. So, you get yeah. to work on, on interesting projects, I guess. Yeah. yeah, we have to deal a lot with the scaling, with pics, because people buy this this these gifts uh, near Christmas time. So a lot of challenges to solve in, in the last years. I heavily also heavily involved in the cloud transformation, my company, but I probably will be talking about this also later. Uh, so probably have amazing stories about tech leadership and how it works. Successful yeah, leadership and also some failure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, let's get right into it then. So can you please share with us what is the biggest leadership success story that you have witnessed? Uh, probably all the stories I have witnessed um, have to do something with my company because I have been working there for 14 years. So it's oh, a huge part of nice. my experience. Yeah, so in different roles, but uh, probably the, the, the main thing um, I share success with all my colleagues is how we embrace the cloud. So many things come from within without hiring the external consultants and so on. So how we spread the knowledge and how we see values in, in the technologies or some architectural paradigms like serverless and um, because it fits really well in our environment with our preconditions, what, what we have to achieve and what, what we have to fulfill. So I'm really proud. So we started from scratch uh, probably three years ago, writing small tools uh, with the cloud technology and, and gain the knowledge and experience and we do everything cloud first currently and migrate a lot of things because we really see a lot of value even yeah, embracing cloud technology. So that's probably something where I really, I'm really proud of 
how our colleagues see all those things and see see the values and see see the future and the things and how we share the knowledge within the company. So we are, I think we are we have a lot of teams which are cloud obsessed. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you started uh, transitioning uh, into the cloud. Um, did you have like a hard time? Did the people have a hard time transitioning, learning the new technology, or were you met with resistance? Not so much from the developer side. So we saw the main reasons for moving there, like a lot of peaks and capacity planning and so on and budgeting. Um, we are the part of the huge company, so that's uh, not very easy and. Uh, I probably we have the main reasons like every other company starting with this like thinking okay we can scale with the infrastructure and then we try to embrace also cloud native mindset with serverless and so on but it, it was I think the, the, the second step so the first one was to get used with, with the terminology um, with automation with DevOps thinking that was probably the, the, the the fun part and of course we have to deal with, with people things like how we can embrace system administrators in this world and so on because we we, we have classical system administrator which uh, have managed the data center we're still managing data centers but we yes. have uh, yeah. parallel things and um, that's probably something that i think it's really not, not that easy um anyway particularly in the serverless world because you don't have servers, you can't install agents and so on. So the people constantly asking themselves how I can help the company. And sometimes it's not very comfortable situation for people who have invested a lot in the learning of other things and oh, yeah. to relearn, to unlearn. But this is the same is also true for the developers because it's really a hard time for the developers if you are in the distributed world and the microservices world. You have to to know everything from from writing the code, from testing, from deployment automation, for operating this, monitoring alerts. Security is uh, number one. Yeah, job. Yeah. This uh, it, it seems easy, like to say, yeah, this is a cross-functional team, and, but. I mean, you have the limited cognitive load capacity, so it's, yeah. it's about to work in teams that, that everybody contributes to many things, but you can't learn everything. So probably the cloud is the right thing if you want to offload some things to them where they are good at and it's not probably your core domain. So that's uh, probably the standard story how it, how it started. What What's really interesting about the story is the fact that uh, from what I'm getting is that actually the engineers, they started promoting like, let's go to the cloud, let's do serverless, let's do all this stuff. And actually the the point where there was like, people were pushing back with it was actually management saying, maybe we shouldn't do it, take it slowly. Even if it actually it involves less work on management side because they don't, they don't have to learn as much as an engineer, yeah. especially if you have an engineering background, you realize like, these guys, what they're proposing, they're going to learn a lot, study a lot. They're going to work get, a lot, work a lot to do it. And actually, management was the the side that said, like, maybe we shouldn't do it, putting the brakes on. And it wasn't like the engineers, because even in my experience, like engineers usually they like the new stuff, they want to go with it, and 
they're, because of the excitement, they're willing to go for all the pains yeah. of learning, <laughs> all always, the stuff. Always chasing what's new. Was that the yeah, situation? Yeah. Not quite much because management is quite supportive and I'm probably in the middle management position. The uh, CTO is, 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 is my leader and my manager. Um, but uh, of course, the, the developers also tend to pick only funny stuff and but <laughs> you say a they have to say also b so they have to operate this but uh, uh, sometimes it's 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 really hard to get there because uh, if you can wake up uh, be waking up uh, by the alarms and so on so you have to set uh, to be able to set up this in the company so nobody's doing this for free and so on so you have to to think about all these things um but general management was supportive. What was what is really the challenge is how we budget all, all the cloud things because um, in the data center you have this fixed budget in the cloud you have dynamic spending. So and normally it it, it becomes more expensive there in the first place anyway because you have to learn you have to make all those mistakes you yes. in the data center you have the full storage and nobody cares and in the, in the cloud you pay per, 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 per byte per, per month and, and you have to take <laughs> care about this and if you migrate, you migrate yeah you, you migrate all your failures from the data center in the first place and then you have to think about it you have to, to put uh, alarms in place and and yeah, it, it, it becomes uh, more expensive. It can even stay more expensive, and but you can do more with this. But to argue about this is, is really challenging because everybody wants the number, but this number is dynamic. <laughs> so if, you, if, if we as a company is more successful, then we also pay more to the cloud provider. And that's yes. some kind of shift in the company. So I'm the person who is doing the, the, the whole budget stuff also for, for the cloud and it's sometimes really, really challenging. So I have to make assumptions, hypotheses and so on. The world is changing. You don't really know what you will be doing in two months and so on. So I can't price what I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> yes. um, each company has to be healthy. So budgeting belongs to this. I can say it's between one zero and one million. That's uh, it's not how it's working. Yes. So I have to uh, to make good estimations, and I had also my, my my learnings because pricing in the cloud, and we are mainly using LWS, is really complex. All this data transfer stuff and so on, and storages, it's mm -hmm. it's really it's really not that easy. But uh, you can only be better than you practice this. Yeah. yeah. And probably it's made complicated, so you cannot really calculate from the start how much it costs. <laughs> Already when you're invested, you find out how much it costs and it's too late because you sunk too much into it. I heard another uh, tech consultant, uh, his favorite answer to companies was when he was asked how much it's going to cost, he, he always answered with a lot, probably more than you're comfortable spending. But then again, if your comp competitors uh, get into this before of you, before you do. Uh, how fast do you want to go belly up and bankrupt? And they always think about it. And that's how he ended yes. all the conversation. Yeah, that's right. Because you have to argue also. Yeah, we know what what pain did uh, did we have, and we also know we are in the in the image business because yeah, we do everything with images and the. The, the cameras becomes more powerful. You have more pictures. They are bigger. You have uh, 
yeah, you have throughput uh, in the internet, bandwidth, and, and so on. So you have to think how it will be working two or three years from now. And probably the data center is not, not the place you want to be. And in the data center, you often forced to some kind of architecture, like monolithic architecture and so on. Yeah. And that's probably the, the thing that the software doesn't scale. You probably can buy more hardware, but the software doesn't scale. So you need to access other architecture paradigms more easily, like containers, orchestration, serverless, and so on. You, you want to have this flexibility, and you, you don't have this in, in the data center. You can do everything there, but you have to operate this on your own, probably, and it will cost you a lot. So oh, I saw a lot cost. of companies which, yeah, yeah, yeah the biggest had a lot of problems. Uh, you know yeah. what's the most expensive thing with a data center? Having a very successful product. Because if you have a lot of traffic in a very successful product, okay. it gets very expensive when you have to do everything yourself. If you move yeah, it okay. into the cloud, you just charge the extra cost to your customers. Yeah, if you do value-based pricing and you can figure out what what things are costing you on some some basis and serverless allows you to do this um, more or less precisely. So this of course, but of course you have to think about your, your pricing model and so on. So uh, the discussion which sometimes start from the developers, this discussion goes up to the CEO because <laughs> as a developer, you can't change everything in the company. So exactly. you can only say, okay, so that's, that's the, that's the thing which a CEO or CTO should, should lead in the end of the day and the technology we, our job is simply to, to provide evolutionary architecture to iterate quickly and so on. So use the technology as the main driver. Yeah. And this is something that I want to ask you because you're like in the middle, in the sweet spot between uh, higher management, like the C-suits, the CTO, the CEO, and then you also, and then we have on the other side, you have the engineers and you, you probably have to handle a lot of negotiations about change and what technology to use. And you, you basically in the perfect position to see both sides and both arguments and what, what are they reasoning? Because they're going to come to you and say like, I want to achieve this because we want this, but we don't want to do this stuff. So you know both the arguments from both sides, so you have the perfect vantage point, at least in my opinion. Is this true? And how do you manage like all this negotiation uh, when it comes to bringing new technology, starting a new project, or um, taking some bold steps technology in technology? Um, yes, it's a, yeah, I'm feeling like I'm in the elevator between these two worlds and, 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 and uh, the, the hardest thing I, I learned is that uh, of course as a technical person we wanted to build yeah, our, our, our product more scalable but migrating to the cloud also meant some kind of stop of the world and the management is quite uncomfortable with those situations so they want to move delivering some, some, some value also to the customers and our customers don't care if you are in the cloud or not. Of course, they want to be performant. They don't want to fail in the Christmas and so on uh, because they can't even imagine that this can happen. But uh, they don't know how hard it is. So that, that, that's probably one thing that we started to be too technical 
and uh, we wanted to refactor too much and then we had to to go smaller to, to, to take only the parts which perfect but we also had uh, we, we had to be compatible and deliver new products and so on so um, we started to think from scratch when we delivered or develop completely new products so that was the easiest trigger greenfield is always easier yes. but um, but uh, your main application your i would say revenue generating application not legacy application because yes <laughs> nothing can be legacy which brings you money money yeah. So that, that that was the thing that we we wanted to be too quickly, and then you are always in this discussion: lift and shift or rearchitect. And then rearchitect costs you uh, time and effort. And sometimes it's I, I'm quite comfortable to to say we will lift and shift, and then on the way there we will figure out how to refactor things and, and and to gain knowledge because at the beginning of the project, in the beginning of the cloud migration, you know least possible thing about it so that's probably not not correct to think about it for how it will look like in two years because yeah it won't definitely be that way so yeah. that sometimes it's really important to make the first step and don't involve in the endless discussions uh, whether and how so do and then iterate and change that that was the, probably one thing and we really started small, and we saw the the, the success. We saw the adoption. Then we uh, did more, and then the management also saw the benefits. And uh, if you become more stable, then that's okay. But of course, you have to deliver value to the customers. That's what that's probably the hardest thing because if you um, slow down, then the competitors competitors can overhaul you. <laughs> I think. So, yeah. So that's uh, embracing both worlds. And I know it's a challenge because I have a programming background and and I saw like in my colleagues and other people working on other projects, it's really easy as an engineer to get so fascinated with the technology itself that you forget about the customer and what he wants and what he needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you build stuff because you want to build it, and not not just because the the end customer really needs it and wants it, or it's something that's going to make their lives better. It's just you just want to do it. <laughs> you know, it's like a, a yeah. chef in a restaurant who loves cooking more than he loves getting paid to cook, which is a which if you cook for yourself, that's great, but if you're in a business, that's not so good. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We also made uh, errors and uh, mistakes. That that's probably fine. But currently, we see how to 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 to, to navigate uh, quickly. Awesome. And that's yeah. That's we are far behind perfection. But uh, I think we are currently yeah. Every, every adoption also means co-evolution of practices, and that's probably the hard thing to you can do the, the the things of the old way. You won't embrace NoSQL database doing uh, the things like the relational database. It will fail, and then you will blame the technology probably. <laughs> that's, that's how it mainly works. So you say it doesn't work. Yeah, it works, but you have to learn and learn. We have talked about this, and that's probably everybody should figure out. Everybody can read books, see talks on YouTube, but practicing this is something very different. Exactly, exactly. And since we're talking about failures, what is the biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? 
yeah, that's, um, I think uh, the huge problem was the, probably I can't say failure, but uh, we, we tried uh, we tried to embrace unite people um, under some operational paradigm. We wanted to embrace Kubernetes uh, to be precise, and we invested a lot, but had only limited success in terms of willingness to use this in our company. So okay. we had to stop this. And um, of course, everything is more about people as about technology. So the people were very disappointed and saw it as their personal fail. And uh, they saw also a reaction from management, how they react on this. And then the relationship uh, suffer and so on. And we tried to figure out what was the problem because it started very yeah. promising as always, as always, because yeah, there are a lot of companies that really uh, that could embrace this amazing technology. But for us, it was probably too much uh, on complexity added because we uh, also try to do too many things in parallel and then you have to learn a lot of stuff. It's probably too hard for people. And uh, um, Probably uh, we understood it better after we've read the book Team Topologies by Manuel Pais and Matthew Scantle, uh, which was released last year, that you have to think about the platform also like a product. So the okay. platform team should also deliver this on the, like, like a product and not like technical solution. So the people uh, and then the users are within the company, they have, yeah, they won't be served. By, by, by this team and, and probably we are too technical uh, now we understand this but um, yeah it was very uncomfortable situation because uh, we saw the push back from the organization from people which told we, we don't really want to use this uh, and, and explain this so we tried everything we have iterated but another situation there the people saw more value in other paradigms and other operational constructs or um, mm. that's that's probably the thing that they said that they, that they don't want to operate and they don't want to have a dependency on another team and so on so now that they were typical discussions that they, that they were more on track than they could own everything in their team and and that's probably something that i was also one who founded this and I was the person, one of the decision makers who had to stop it. And that's quite uncomfortable because people rely on you and that's, that, that, that was the situation that um, something went broken and we have to fix this and then, and yeah, but that's you, probably the thing, yeah. You rediscovered the very old uh, farming principle, which says, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Same idea. You wanted a new implementation, but you can't force people to, well, you can, but with limited success. Yeah, that's true. But we really thought it will bring us value and it will bring more speed. But uh, sometimes it's, uh, yeah, that probably, uh, yeah, too inspired by, by other success stories, probably from the bigger companies, which have different circumstances, how to adopt this and, and so on. So probably that was a kind of problem, but uh, anyway, you have also to learn also from these situations and, and, and probably 
try to do uh, try to do things in, in smaller iteration because it took us many months um, before we realized that it's probably not the right way and the earlier you realize it the, the less it hurts i think to stop something oh, yes, perfectly okay yeah. to to try things out that's how innovation works so you have 100 ideas and in best case one will bring you something and sometimes yes it's, uh, it's also in, in, in our world so in the technology world so you try new things out and then you see oh, that doesn't go that way and, and you know what this this brings like uh, in front of my uh, mind uh, the fact that as a leader of technical people if you try to push a technology that they're not excited about it you're going to have like major pushback and the project is not going to work but also you have to look like what are they excited about how can we use it and try it out because sometimes uh, people are excited about uh, some new technology or a new way of doing things or a new approach because they don't actually know it and when they try it they become really unexcited really fast about it because it turns out it's really hard it's complicated it's uh, it's not what it was promised so you have as a, as a leader you have to manage this in a way and guide your technical people and and in a way get them excited about what you want to do and the technology you're going to use and keep the momentum going and make sure that always you're checking your one hand on the excitement pulse and seeing like are they still engaged with what we're working on the technology we're using the stack or are they starting to feel like oh no it's old stuff it's we, we don't want it and then they start looking for other jobs <laughs> oh yes yes that's a, that's a constant yeah, danger yeah, if you, yeah, it's also about responsibility. So if, if, if you force somebody to use something that they won't have any ownership, I think. So we will say, Vadim mm -hmm. forced us to, to do this and we do this. But generally, they probably, that can only fail. So that's something that, uh, of course, you have to deliver value. You have also to think how to be faster. And sometimes, yeah, that also means to learn and but option and then you have to admit also I have I had to admit it was the failure from my side probably how will, I will do this differently today but of course I know more currently and yeah so so it goes you have to do like um, I, I don't know like what would be like a culinary example but you have to put like some good stuff with some bad stuff to make a dish that is it, it, you can eat it <laughs> at the end so you have to put some technology that everybody wants and is excited about and have like a side order of technology that people might not be excited about but it has to come with it and and manage the whole mix of technology flavors or start with a smaller team and test it out and then just keep adding people to the team and if you can constantly add new people until you double the initial team and you can integrate them all in a rapid manner, then you can say, okay, should we bring this for the entire company now? Does that make sense? Can we do it and debate upon it? If the answer is yes, do it. If not, well, you tried, might not be the best outcome or might not be the right time, 
might not be the right technology. At least you tried. Yeah, I would say also don't take it personally. So that's how innovation yes. works. So this is probably you, you try things out and then, then it's all, also our responsibility and also responsibility uh, of each developer to admit so it doesn't work. So let's try something which probably provide more value for the whole company. So that's our whole Which is hard. It's hard yeah. to take responsibility and say like, we love this technology, but it's not right for us. It's too hard. It's not what it was promised. Uh, it's really hard and it, it's a sign of a mature uh, okay. engineer. Yeah, usually. And there is, yeah, there is no two, two same companies, uh, no two same cultures. So something that works there won't probably work here. And so on. So it's very, very different, uh, yes. different in, in our world. And with that in mind, what is your leadership philosophy, Vadim? Okay, we probably talked a bit about it, but uh, for me, it's something like unite people behind some shared way of doing things, which has a potential to become the culture of the company. So, see where people are currently good at. There, they have the potential to grow. Then build the core team positive influencers in the company and, and, and then enlarge it. So um, currently we are embracing serverless or cloud native uh, paradigm in our company. And um, I see that, that the junior people or less senior people look at, at the people which embracing this and then if they see success and that's probably very um, important to bring to achieve success as soon as possible, then other people also join this, this group of, of, of positive influence. So you can make it bigger. And um, yes, that is something which is really important. Then, then if you see something growing that way, that, that's something where I see, okay, that's, that's probably the right way to do. But you have to steadily think it's the right, so, if you have success today, it doesn't mean that you will have success tomorrow with this. So oh, yeah. out for, for, for other things and try to adopt, try to change. But generally, this, the, 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 the team of positive influences is something which is really important for me or, the, or for the whole company, I would say. And, uh, Vadim, I'm really curious, how do you go about building a network of influencers and having them spread the, the message? You mean the company? I think that this uh, we are a really small company. We have 30 developers, so probably six teams. I see that uh, that if the people see success, if they can move fastly, then they share their stories. And you have to, to give them the platform, like community of practice, lightning talks, and so on, and give the possibility to to share their experience. And and, and I see that the people talk in in the corner and so on, so you can influence others. Uh, sometimes you have to help and sometimes you have to explain but but generally speaking that's something which can occur natural and the leader should should observe this sometimes without involving you you know that your people you know yes. how the what are the the strengths of, of your people and, and and see the things and we are currently i i, I do a lot of talks on meetups uh, and, and and conferences and generally i do this um with one of my colleagues and a lot of colleagues join to share some experience or something growing currently and 
this is what I'm currently enjoying, that the people try to share their success stories, but also learn from other people, um, for other companies and so on. But it's not tied to some particular technology. I think that uh, every company can become successful with each technology. It's something that's unique, unique to the people, unique to their knowledge and how they spread knowledge. So uh, I think you can be successful also in the data center. It's, it's not the point. Um, but I like your idea, like you can look at it and if there are like natural mechanism for spreading knowledge inside the, and excitement inside the company, that's okay. If not, you have to build some mechanism yourself, like uh, fireside chats or um, conversation and meetups and uh, so, some events that get the conversation rolling and getting people more and more involved with uh, the new ideas. Preferably with good food involved, snacks. And beer. Yeah, that's, and beer. That, that's how it started with the serverless paradigm uh, three years ago. We had the whole company, all developers had three weeks to work on the project they wanted, which provide value for the company. So, and I was also in the team uh, and we had to make some internal tool and that it was perfect for serverless because it, uh, it, it's, it will only be used two or three times in the months. So it's perfectly oh, okay. for scaling, not for managing servers. And we didn't know anything about serverless. We were in the cloud, but we didn't try it out at the time. But we said, okay, that's probably the right time to do this. Yeah, you can do something wrong with the internal tool. So go <laughs> with this. And that's how it started. Then we have presented this. And then other people had similar tasks also. Internal tool, bad job. So they implemented this in the same way and then we, we adopted the technology and now we are using this also for our regular application. So it's uh, something that the people see this aha effect. Okay, I can build something meaningful in three weeks yeah, and I can do this like production ready, complete and, and, and so on. And that's something, oh, I can do this. Yeah, then so how you how you achieve this, and then you spread the knowledge, and then you see if if you yeah if it if it grows, um, and that's, that's also in our case that they see now two or three teams which really adopt this technology, but uh, yeah the future will show if it's the right way to do. Um, there are a lot of limitations in each technology, so you have to also to deal with these things and and see what's the perfect thing. So you can do, probably you can build everything with, a, with one paradigm, so. <laughs> For sure, not true. <laughs> uh, but, but this is like really interesting. Like uh, in my opinion, uh, every company, doesn't matter how big or small it is, they should have projects where they build in tools, internal tools that are going to be used inside the company and use those projects to test out new ideas, new ways of doing things. Uh, and not start like going client facing with the new ideas and, oh, yeah. and trying them out. Um, in your experience, do you also find it like it's useful to first try them out with small project, internal projects, and then start up applying them for uh, big projects that are client facing? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, <laughs> it's how it normally goes. Uh, of course, it depends on, 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 on the people. If you have a lot of senior people, they are probably encouraged to do more things directly in production. But generally, you, 
as you don't know in the beginning everything about the technology, about the corner cases, it's really okay to start with something very small, like agile whale, then think, okay, how I can apply what I've learned for some bigger project with some bigger feature and so on. I'm just asking for your idea because I've seen like companies make the mistake of starting embracing a new paradigm, a new way of doing things and going like, we're going to do this massive project around it because it's cool. And uh, the engineers are excited about it, but the engineers not have not even one small project under their belt using that methodology of, of doing the project. And then they discover that, oh, oh my God, we hate it. It's not what, what we wanted. Uh, yeah. And it turns like from a nice green field, it turns into a pool of a cesspool of spaghetti codes. <laughs> yeah, it's, everything is cool when it works, but you also have to think if it fails and you are under the pressure and you have to fix it and you don't understand this. And you all nearly always have to understand one abstraction behind your technology stack to be able to figure out what's going on. Then it becomes interesting. Yeah, so it's, uh, the management is not interested in paradigm, then they are interested in fixing <laughs> problems quickly. And if you can't yes. do this, that's probably uh, something, the missing piece. <laughs> I also believe it comes down to how the engineer feels about the, the company or client he's working for. Because um, if he or she likes the, the client and says, listen, Things, things to themselves. I can see myself working for five, eight, 10 or 14 years, uh, like in your case for this company, then they will be very careful about what technology they pick, about adding changes to the project. They, they will want everything to be as stable as possible. But if, and I've, I saw this person, if they dislike the company that they work for, they're like, listen, in, in eight months, I'm going to get a new uh, job anyway. So let me just uh, add this new technology to my uh, CV, to my resume. I'll test it out here to have real world production uh, capabilities. Then I'll just quit if it fails. C'est la vie. And I'll go. And I've seen this happen. And then a new developer or uh, engineer has to come back and he looks at the work done and is like, oh, my God, <laughs> why, <laughs> why, <laughs> and it happens. Yeah, it, uh, I think people call this CV-driven development. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, 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 <laughs> yes, I haven't heard that one in a long time, it's true. And it happens, yeah. it happens a lot. Uh, a new technology is hot, so some people just drive for a project inside of company just so they can move to a, a new company. Any, any legacy project I've worked on, depending on how old it was, four years, five years, six years, I always knew what was really hot in the industry when that project was starting. Like for example, my last project I worked on, Mongo and microservice style architectures were really hot. So I had plenty of both. <laughs> I feel I think that the, the the technical people they yeah they are driven by technology. So if you will combine technology and responsibility, then it, I think it's the right way to go. <laughs> and the responsibility not from one person, uh, but also from the whole team, which is responsible for some piece of software. Yeah. And probably they will 
there will be people um, in, in, in the same team which will probably slow down and, and say, okay, let's become mature because it's not about only you, it's about our, our team as a whole. Yeah. And then, then if they have the culture to talk about this, then, then, then that's okay. And developing maturity is something everybody has to do on their own and also leaders to help people underneath them become more mature. Uh, and with that in mind, what would be the top three leadership tips you have for aspiring leaders? Um, it's really difficult to, to figure out to pick only three, but uh, the first one will be, I would say, always explain why and behind the decision. People always need to hear why. And that's probably one thing where I had shortcomings in, in, in the past. Uh, something that you, you say and, and you think that people will understand you, but generally you have to explain and, and there is a saying that you have to say something seven times uh, before it's really understood and this is something Sometimes this more. Is, yeah, sometimes more. If it's a very important decision, then explain, then look at the people's eyes and then see do they understand this and not then address this because if they mentally detached, they, they, they don't understand, they will probably won't implement this way. That's the one thing. The second thing which I also learned from my failing is don't defer difficult decisions or conversations. Um, yeah, if you have to stop something or you have some some um, the point that somebody has to improve, so don't delay those conversations and, and this decision. It only becomes worse with the time. So, yes. so as a leader, you have to be there and you have to address this as quickly as possible. Yeah, so you have to address this in the, some way that the people that you, you 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 have access to the people, but generally don't delay. The problem won't be solved by 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 itself. Uh, and sometimes it's very easy to think it will be solved. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um, uh, the third one is probably contro controversial one, but I tried always to provide some kind of framework or basic condition for the teams like like for for their decision guidance so give them something that they can say okay is my decision right or wrong it shouldn't be if then else but some kind of of, of decision matrix or some some guidance and so on because um i know a lot of discussion what is good one programming language or 10 programming languages but uh, investment in learning is something which is probably the most expensive thing in the company. So you have oh, to yeah. think about how many, how many teams do they have? Should each team use different tool for the same thing? Because they don't have shared learning. And so, so, so try to find balance there and, and provide some things that, 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 uh, that your company works as a whole. And, and sometimes you can see your teams as microservices, which in, um, operate independently. So there's some kind of framework for decision making uh, that the people understand the intention of the management, but of course they can argue, they can ask questions. It's not about what uh, JavaScript framework of the day, it's probably too small, but for some bigger decisions, for architectural paradigms, for bigger tooling uh, and, and so on, then I, I think it's probably the right way to do, but I think it also depends on the size of the company of maturity of engineering and so on. But I, I figured out that generally people need some kind of guidance. 
Yeah. And, and I'm really curious because uh, I'm fascinated with the idea of having a, a methodology, a way for people to to see, like, take decisions on their own and be, like, compliant or on the same wavelength with management or the other teams. Is Can you give, like, an example, a concrete example of how you, how you would set up, like, one of these uh, decision uh, guidelines? So we have we have set up one with our AWS, uh, AWS native serverless paradigm. So the, so the 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 first thing, if you see um, AWS managed service, and it's serverless service, and it fits what you want to do with with feature uh, set and also pricing. That is some kind of the first option to take. So the second option is also AWS, but you some kind of manage things. Partially. So if you don't see the technology where it's completely serverless, take this. If you need something more sophisticated and AWS doesn't have some, some service, so figure out this like software as a service. One example was pager duty as for alarms and for incident yes. management. And AWS has CloudWatch alarms, but it was very basic. And we also have application outside the cloud. So we needed some tool where we can manage all the incidents and so on. But we don't want to manage this on our own. So we found PagerDuty, which is software as a service, managed for you and so on. And the same is for monitoring and people tend to see, okay, I would like to manage the monitoring tool on my own. And then you have to scale it out and 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 and, and, and have monitoring for your monitoring and so on. To be as serverless as possible, but of course it's not always possible. Sometimes you need servers or you need containers and you need orchestration. But the, the, the top priority is to think how can I do this um, without uh, without servers. One example was that we need some kind of orchestration. We needed some kind of orchestration and people knew BPMN, Kamunda, and some kind of these things and wanted to try this out. And then, yeah, we started the discussion, why not aware step function as, as, as an orchestration tool? Because it's managed, it's serverless, and it's, it's way easier. And, um, but they had limited set of features comparing to Kamunda. But we had, but we rethought how we can implement this to embrace this manage technology so this was also the part so how we can become serverless and, and use the whole AWS ecosystem and, and how we can rethink all these things and uh, that's some kind of soft policy it's not about using some particular technology it's not about i want to use sqs sns and other services that there the people are best at to figure out but the in the first place we are thinking how to how to do this uh, like without managing sor uh, services and uh, spending more time on, on production code. So we are trying to, this, everything is hypothesis. We are trying to validate where it fits, where it doesn't fit and so on. But you, you have some kind of decisions. The same is do we want multi-cloud, multi-cloud, hybrid and so on. And this is also, uh, I think that's the management uh, has to play some frameworks because it's. I think it's not okay that uh, one service will be implemented in LWS, another in the Azure, and so on, because you have a lot of contracts and so on. And yes. it's probably not where the, the developers have have to deal with this. So you need some 
clarification from the management what is the way to go if you say i go all in with lws and it's perfectly fine to be um, cloud native then these decisions are very important for the tech people to to build on this so uh, this we have some examples uh, oh, well, well that's really interesting because when you as an engineer you have to make some decisions about how you're going to tackle something or then you can just start like okay uh, first place where i should look for a solution is this because that's something that's already approved and if i find something i can use it uh, the second place i should look is here and it offers like because not all people are as creative or want or look on all the places it's a checklist they, they, yes it's like a checklist uh, if you don't have the checklist you look like in the common places where you you like to look and if you don't find something you say oh i'll build it myself where it becomes really complicated and it spirals out of control but if you have like a pre-made list of places like if you have to tackle something related to this area look here 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 and here see if you find something there that you can use and you have the blessing to to use it it, it streamlines and you don't have to have all this back and forth and all these discussions and you have you have besides the time saving you have engineers that find the solution and then they come back to you and say like i found this this is how i want to do it i've checked it uh, and everything and just say okay go and do it you don't have to have all the negotiation the back and forth and have you look there have you look there <laughs> it's kind of like uh, i think about it like a car even a mechanic can know everything about a car, but if you're planning a, lo a longer trip, it, you at least should go through, through a simple checklist. Are the tires inflated? Do I have gas? Do I have brakes? Do I have good rubber? Do I have everything? If everything checks out, I'm probably going to be safe. But you might have electrical problems, something that comes about. Yeah. You don't know. Stuff happens. That's not a problem, but you know, at least... Uh, modicum of uh, of uh, prevention should be should be done before taking any expensive decisions in any direction yeah but one thing i learned it's uh, of course you have to explain why you have to embrace people oh, yeah. there, but you don't don't need to micromanage this thing so yes. if you go into the individual technologies and write this down then the people won't think about this so this is then they are okay somebody made the decision and of course, it's sometimes you have to think how many programming languages will you allow, I was uh, saying the company, because many people, many, many people refer to the companies like Google, Netflix, but not every company is Google and Netflix. And uh, <laughs> yes. Google has one programming language for uh, 4,000 engineers approximately. So think about this carefully. But of course, you have to see it, it, it doesn't have to be only one. Yeah, because we have a back end, we have front end, and there are a lot of frameworks. And we know how things are going with, with the JavaScript frameworks. Today is oh, Angular, yes. tomorrow is Vue, and then probably something else. And, 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 but so you have to, to, some, to, to, to find the, the, the golden way to, of, of doing things because learning programming languages, learning frameworks, learning a lot of corner cases it also takes time and you have to if you learn too much at the same time you will probably 
don't deliver value. <laughs> so yes. you, you can't explain to the management, I'm learning new programming language for three or four, four months in the row. So uh, <laughs> I, I, well, I had situa- I had situa- it's a dream job. <laughs> it's a dream job. I had the situation 16 years ago, not in this company where the, 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 the web framework struts Java base was released for yes. 3D architecture and so on. And uh, one senior developer missed some features and he had re-implemented everything by himself. The problem was he hadn't developed, uh, delivered any value to the management. And they were really disappointed to see this framework and not the implementation they need. So <laughs> that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's sometimes how it... People think they can, yeah, that's, I can do this quickly. Then no. they can turn down. But I think that industry is now mature enough not to invest time in these things. Um, but 16, 15 years ago, uh, uh, there were different times with the open source releasing. And it was the beginning of this, this age. So yeah. Yeah. And since we're on the topic of learning, what is the book that had the most profound impact on you? It doesn't have to be technology related or leadership any book. Any book that really book. had like a profound impact. I probably picked one, but one thing was the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz uh, with Mark Andresen. Uh, you probably Netscape. You know he's a huge inve- investor currently, uh, working with Mark Andresen, yes. who, who said uh, software is eating the world. That's Probably the book is for more senior manager as I am, but he described um, how difficult it was to make decisions then yeah, then you had to lay off people. And so that's really difficult stuff. You wouldn't like to to deal with this. But he explained how to do this, how to retain people also in this situation, how to explain, how to motivate this. And... uh, uh, it's uh, really, it's not what I'm, what I'm doing, but it was really um, um, what he says, building a business when there are no easy answers. And uh. it was very useful for me to think about this uncomfortable situation, uncomfortable conversation, but also trying to, uh, yeah, to go forward in this difficult situation. He is very, very successful, but uh, he started in the beginning of 2000 and that was yes. some kind of different time. Uh, I started oh, yeah. also as a software developer at that time. It was very difficult even to find a job. And he's also a technical guy. And so he described this all uncomfortable things, all uncomfortable decisions, how you live with this also, but how you have to make this decision sometimes even detach, detach emotionally because it will eat you up. Um, yes. that, that was uh, probably the one thing I don't know if I will need this in my life but it's hopefully not uh, hopefully not but it was some kind of experience to, to absorb and the recent book which I read one month ago also about leadership uh, in general from Jocker Willink and Leif Babin Dichotomy of Leadership where he describes that yeah you have to find balance between too little and too much in uh, each yes. in every case as a leader. So there is no right and, and wrong answer. And um, that, but that, that was really, really interesting how you sometimes micromanage, but sometimes you rely too much 
on the people and then don't produce results and uh, also other paradigms and you plan for every outage which probably costs you too much time versus you don't plan anything <laughs> and so on so yeah. this is the, this is the, yeah the tech people says everything is a trade-off and that's also in leadership that was yes. here for me he described 13 dichotomies so this balances uh when that's probably um that was very impactful to me uh, to, to see this because that's what i really need on my daily basis so to to find the, the right balance and probably even the right balance for on the people base because people are different yeah exactly. so true and regarding the trade-off and this is something from uh, my career um, when I was asked to do some uh, major feature or major overhaul or stuff like that, and I was asked to estimate the timeline and the budget, I always replied with, well, it can be uh, fast, cheap, and reliable, but you can only pick two of those. So when you find out what you want, please tell me, and then we'll go with a plan, because you cannot have all three at the same time. Yeah, there is one joke and then for the technical people, I can meet every deadline if it doesn't have to work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, so true, so true. <laughs> or it doesn't have to work as expected. Yeah. And the biggest truism uh, among technical people is it never works during demo time. Oh yeah, or, or it's working on my local machine. That's uh, yeah, exactly. Some like when my you show somebody that, else, yeah, 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 <laughs> or the other one. But the tests pass. All the tests pass. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, that's the reality of it. It's funny because I'm sure we have a couple of uh, uh, more non-technical listeners, and they're like. What are they talking about? Why are they laughing about tests not passing and local machine? <laughs> oh, the pain is so true. Yeah. Okay. Well, but then if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? You have two places. The first one, I'm very active on Twitter. My, my handle is uh, very simple. V Katsulkin, the first uh, letter of my name and then the whole surname written together. Or you can sort simply with uh, so, uh, name and surname, and the same as um, on LinkedIn. So with my uh, first and last name, you can find me. I don't have any personal page, yeah, father of three, so I have to balance okay. things. And yeah. uh, probably it will, I will do it in the future. But I'm currently happy with, with Twitter and on the LinkedIn. I share uh, some highlights from the book I read like this dichotomy of the leadership. So I put uh, some, some quotes there and that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy uh, to, to do this there. And then people also answer and involved in these discussions. And yeah, this Twitter and LinkedIn, you can find me there. And if anybody is uh, planning a visit to Bonn and uh, wants to learn more about uh, serverless and uh, Java, <laughs> reach out to uh, Vadim on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. Go join the meetups. Go join the meetups. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. It will also work in Bonn and Cologne. Two cities are really 20 kilometers away, so we have big city, and then Düsseldorf is, is also one hour away. So we have here a huge community, 
with uh, with AWS and, and also Java and also other other interesting stuff. Also, Azure is very present in the region because they have Microsoft sitting really? in Cologne. Also, so I, I think that even Azure is is more visible in my region. But uh, yeah, very techy region. Uh, this is this is something that I like to do. Like when I travel to some place, I try to I join some meetups and some events that are coming that I find interesting, and I go there and I talk with get new perspective, new flavors, and it's something I encourage every person to do. Uh, if you're an engineer, go look at engineering and not just engineering meetups. Go to other meetups that you find interesting when you're traveling, going to. To get a better experience of the place and of the culture, uh, it, it's you're more of a local when you go to a meetup yeah. than. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking about being from uh, Kyung, uh, I'm a little jealous because you have the best real-world example to the question of uh, when can the server or the job or the project be finished? Because you have the famous cathedral in Kyong, started in the 13th century. It's called yeah. the Eternal Worksite. <laughs> yeah. Best real world example of a monolith. <laughs> Best real world example of one. It's never done. It's never finished. But it's still useful. But it's still useful, yeah. yes. Uh, it doesn't have to scale. It's okay for all <laughs> 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 oh, It's been a pleasure Martin, having you on the show. Thank you so much. Also, thank you, Andre and Bogdan, for having me. It, it was my first experience for, for the podcast, but Hope I you like, enjoyed, hope it. enjoyed yeah, it. I enjoyed it very much, and also thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh. You can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.